This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. Welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Master Sandbook. I'm Michael Shorten, Chicago is. Happy New Year and glad you're here with me. I hope that the new year so far has been treating you really well. I did warn you when I restarted the podcast that I may release once a week, I may release once every two weeks, and sometimes I may take my good sweet time when I'm ready to release a new episode. With the holidays happening, uh, a lot of things have been happening in my life at work, had some things going on on weekends. It has just been very difficult for me to set down some time to podcast, but here I am today and I'm ready to talk about AD&D combat again and get a little bit more into the mechanics of it to try to demystify it for everyone. So the first part of this episode, we are going to revisit initiative just for a moment because I'm going to cover what happens when you are attempting to melee with a spellcaster. Yes, Gary and company had a special rule for that. In the second half, we're going to talk a little bit about AD&D combat maneuvers, specifically charging the various rules around that and how to handle that. And I think that'll do it for a good episode and we'll save the rest for another time. On a personal note, I have been doing a little bit more gaming and less of the miniature painting. I decided to play one game of Hordes of the Things, which is a 15 millimeter, or I play it in the 15 millimeter scale, but it is a fantasy miniatures war game. It's loosely based on a set of rules called DBA, Debellus Antiquitatis. This is a set of rules that was released by the War Games Research Group. I hope I have that right. I know them as WRG. They're a group out of the UK, which are well known for having released war game rules well into the 60s. They've been around for a while. And a gentleman by the name of Phil Barker, his wife Sue, and some other authors have released a set of rules over the years called DBA and some various offshoots, which really simplify wargaming into almost, but not quite, an abstract concept. And I'm not going to get into that here. Maybe that's subject for another podcast. Anyway, there's a fantasy version of it called uh, Hordes of the Things, or HOT, H-O-T-T. I love the game. I've played it for a long time, and I kind of fell out of it over the past couple of years. So this year, based on a person by the name of Captain Kobold, who runs a well-known HOT website and blog called The Stronghold, they made a commitment to play a hot game once a week, and I thought, you know, that sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds like a great way for me to do things. So I did that. In playing other games, I am immensely hooked on uh, Minecraft right now. My kingdom there is huge. <laughs> I have a walled castle and village. Unfortunately, that takes away from uh, time to do other things. So what can I say? It's winter. It's time for me to hibernate and enjoy a slower pace. 
And so that's exactly what I've been doing. But you didn't come to this podcast to hear me prattle on about personal life. You came to this podcast because you want to hear about AD&D. So let's get on with it. Last time we talked about AD&D, I went into a lot about initiative and how segments work and, you know, attempting to demystify that. One thing I didn't cover was what happens if you run into this situation. You are part of a party of adventurers and you come up to the main hall of a ruined castle and inside you hear voices chanting in odd, strange tones. And they're saying words that hurt your mind. They almost seem to twist in your ear and stab at you, but you're not sure where that pain comes from. All you know is, is that chanting, it's horrible, and you wish it would stop. And so, you being the brave adventurers, you kick down the door and you run inside and you see before you four robed figures surrounding some sort of obscene setting, bloods dripping from bowls. There are strange liquids being poured inside of these vessels. What will you do? Well, if you're my players, you're going to look at those robed figures and say, they're spellcasters, charge them. And the spellcasters are turning to those players and casting spells. What do you do? Do the spells go off first? Do the chargers get to charge in and stab first? How do you adjudicate that? Well, believe it or not, Gary and company did write a rule that covers that. And if you flip in your Dungeon Master's Guide to page 68, it's laid out there for you how this works. Now, I'm going to admit that like everything else with AD&D, it sometimes takes a little bit of working through before it clicks and makes sense. And so my players in my online game were very patient as they presented me with this situation and I worked through the rules as written to figure out who strikes first, the spellcaster or the melee'er. And it ended up not being nearly as complicated as we thought. Although it does include something that we spoke about last time and that is weapon speed. So let me lay it out for you. First off, if you are entering into melee with someone who is casting a spell, is you would use the initiative role of the party. So, if you remember, the way initiative works is the high roller wins, and they are going to go in the segment that the loser dice indicates. Now, if you remember, we talked a lot about how you don't really need to worry about segments unless you're doing some very specific things. Well, this is kind of one of them. So you are going to melee with a spellcaster. What you will do is you will take your weapon speed. So you are attacking with a longsword. A longsword has a weapon speed of five. You 
rolled a four. That is the segment that the magic user is going to begin casting their spell. What's five minus four? That's a one. So you have this number of one. Now you're going to look at the number of segments that the spellcaster's spell is going to take to be cast. And let's say they are casting a spell that's going to take two segments. So, beings that one is less than two, the sword will strike for, have the potential of striking first. So you as the meleeer would get to attack. Now, this may seem a lot to kind of juggle in your head. So what I did was, is I grabbed a scratch piece of paper and I wrote out on the, wrote this out all in a line and it really made a lot of sense. First thing I wrote was spell two. So that tells me that the spell is gonna take two segments. Then I wrote sword, speed of five, minus four, losing initiative equals one. One is less than two, sword goes first. Let's take another example. In this case, the ma monster magic user is going to have initiative because they rolled a five and the PCs rolled a two. Now, this isn't a magic user. This is a, well, it's a magic spellcaster, but it's a cleric. And this cleric is going to cast the spell of command, which takes one segment. You are attacking that cleric with a large hammer, which has a weapon speed of nine. So, I wrote down on a piece of paper, in just one line, spell one, large hammer nine, minus two, which is the losing roll that the PCs had, nine minus two is seven. So, beings that one is less than seven, then the spell is going to go off first. And unfortunately, that poor PC is probably going to be commanded to do something like, oh, flee. Let's take another example. Here again, the mage has rolled a five and the PCs have rolled a two. Now, the mage is, is casting charm, which is a four segment spell. The PC is using a dagger, which has a weapon speed of two. So, wrote down on a line, spell equals four, weapon of two minus two, which is the losing PC roll, equals zero. In this case, then, the dagger is going to go first. Now, if we look at this, and let's say that we had a long sword instead, would the long sword go first? Well, spell has a casting time of four. The long sword has a speed of five minus their roll of two equals three. So since three is less than four, then yes, the long sword would go first. Now, the bottom line is if you're the magic user, you want to win initiative if you're attacking the magic user, you want to win initiative and you don't have to worry about math. It's really one of those things that if you want to dive into the weeds, it's an easy enough rule to play with once you get there. However, if you're not really that enthusiastic about diving into something like this, I can totally get it why you might be like, eh, 
I'm skipping this. I'm just going to say you start casting. If the other person doesn't go before you finish casting, then your spell goes off before they go. I can get that. And honestly, I don't know if I'm going to stick with this rule or not. I am going to play with it for a while because like everything else, I've enjoyed diving into AD&D combat to use the rules to see what they're all about and to see if it helps add to the play. In this case, the players and I were having a little bit of fun seeing would the magic user get off the spell first? And in some cases, I think by using this method, it gave the PCs an an opportunity to attack where having done it maybe the old way where the spell just goes off in the seg so many segments afterwards the pcs perhaps were saved from having been you know bespelled in this first case um the uh it was a necromancer i use a odd necromancer class that i found way way back when on on the internet it looks like it came from some zine somewhere. It's it's a neat take on uh, differing a necromancer, kind of a mashup between a cleric and a magic user. Anyway, one of their spells is Evil Eye. And Evil Eye works a lot like Charm, except the necromancer always has to be staring at the person in order to control them. Evil Eye takes two segments to cast. So in my first example... If the Necromancer would have started in segment four, it's a two-segment spell, then the Evil Eye spell would have gone off at the same time that the uh, Paladin was attacking the Mage. However, by using the math rule, the Paladin was able to clearly attack the Necromancer first and in fact did uh, actually kill him in one shot, which was really freaking awesome. Anyway, I just wanted to go into this segue here, and I've wasted a lot of time talking about this. So let's jump into our next topic, which is combat maneuvers and charging. All right, so charging in AD&D is both very simple and somewhat disruptive. Let's talk about the simple part. Charging allows you to move into melee at double your move rate. So it's that pell-mell dash in, the barbarian charge, as you dive into combat. You do lose your dexterity bonus and or minus one to your armor class. However, you get a plus two to hit. And according to AD&D rules, the only way you can move an attack in the same round is to charge. However, there is something to know that once you've charged, you have to wait 10 rounds before you can charge again. It's kind of like that catching your breath because it takes a lot out of you to jump into melee like that. Couple of caveats to charging. One is, is that if you are charging your opponent, it takes you both out of initiative uh, turns, meaning that it doesn't matter who won or lost initiative in a charging situation. What matters is, is who has the longer weapon, 
insert size queen jokes here. No, really, it's kind of funny. And that's just reflecting that if you're charging in, if you're a defender and you've got a longer weapon than the attacker, then you're probably going to impale them on that nice long spear that you've got set up. Otherwise, if you're charging with your long sword against someone who has a dagger, you're probably going to get in the blow first. Now, something about charging, though, as a defender. You can set your weapon against charges. And what that uh, uh, basically allows is allows you to go first and you get double damage if you hit. Now, it has to be the type of weapon that can be set versus a charge. So like a spear or a pike or some other sort of pointy polearm that's long and you can kind of button to the ground and hold up against the charge. And what that allows you to do is if they've set the weapon, then the longest weapon doesn't matter. It just matters that you've set the weapon against the charge. And then if you hit, you'll get the double damage, which is nice. And people that charge really hate to hear that. If you have not set your weapon against charge, then you compare the sizes of your weapons and the one with the longer weapon gets to go first. Uh, there is a note in the rules that if you are, you know, using a natural style weapon like claw claw or a tail or something like that, then you would not get to go first. That would it would be the uh, um, actual weapon that would get to go first. And that's really it to a charge. Now remember. If you're going to do charges this way, it takes you out of initiative. The way I'll do charges in my game is I'll actually adjudicate them first. Because here's a couple of things to think about. One, initiative really applies to if you're already in melee with someone or you're doing something where the order of things is important. So that's why I'll do charges first because then I can just adjudicate those, get those out of the way, and then go to the rest of the party and do things in initiative order. What happens if you're charging a spellcaster? Chew on that for a second. So if you're, remember, if you're meleeing a spellcaster, you use the initiative role and you are comparing weapon speed to casting time. But charging takes you out of initiative and instead relies on weapon length. Well, that was the conundrum that was placed before me, and there's no real clear rule. So I kind of sat back and thought about it. thought, well... The whole reason for comparing the initiative for spell casting versus the weapon is to see if someone's going to be able to strike before the spell goes off. The whole reason of charging out of taking charging out of the initiative order is because charging is its own thing and it really counts on the weapon length. So I thought about it, and what I ruled instead was, was that if you charge a spellcaster, then you have your own initiative, 
and we would use the comparison rule of doing the math of comparing weapon speed minus the losing initiative roll versus the uh, length of spell being cast. Players didn't mind. It seemed to go really fast, and it gave a little bit of extra fun into the combat to see uh, how things would work out. And that's one of the things that I appreciated about this was that in AD&D, you get some crunch. Not a lot, not nearly as much as I think you might get in a more modern game, but there's enough there to give you a fun few things to deal with and to worry about when you're doing, uh, when you're doing AD&D combat. So that really wraps up the two things I wanted to talk about. How to attack a spellcaster and how to charge. What did you think? How would you have ruled in these situations? And do you think that the attacking a spellcaster uh, math problem is a little too much? How would you do it? I'd really like to know. You can leave me a voicemail. I'll leave the phone number in the show notes. Or you can click on the link in my show notes and you can leave me a message via Anchor. The nice thing about leaving a voicemail is you can leave as long of one as you want. Anchor does limit you to a minute. Alternatively, if you want to send me an email with an attached mp3 you can send that to chgowiz at gmail.com chicagowiz at gmail.com all right that's it for this episode game on